welcome to Maximum Octane and your ride to the entrepreneur's evolution in the automotive industry. I'm your host, Kim Hickey, former shop owner turned industry educator, speaker, and entrepreneurial motivator. Each week during our ride together, you will hear unfiltered stories of inspiration and transformation shared by successful business owners and CEOs. Their experiences will motivate you to do things you never thought possible, encourage you to reach your full potential, and help you to exchange unproductive habits for productive ones. While many of my guests will be related to the automotive industry, it's crucial in the world of tomorrow that we stop being silos and we open our minds to ideas and inspiration from other industries as well. We also know that to be truly successful in business, you must have a healthy work and home life balance. All of my guests are handpicked with these crucial elements in mind. Our industry is evolving by the second, and we need to as well. Buckle up, because here we go. Welcome back, Maximum Octane. This is another episode coming to you from Puerto Rico at the El Conquistador. And I am so thrilled that this is my office for the week in my backyard. And I am I am truly a lucky girl and very blessed. And so joining me today is a wonderful person who has done more to educate the automotive industry than almost anybody I know. And that's Mr. Chris Chesney from Repairify. And I think when you think about somebody that knows everything about everything in the automotive industry, your name is the first thing that comes up in any conversation. You're like this guru, the Dalai Lama of the automotive (laughs) information world. You know, I have a great passion for helping people Uh and I have a great passion for this industry. And the thing that, that creates excitement for me and satisfaction for me is seeing other people take ideas or concepts that I just laid out in front of them and put them into action. And it's awesome because it changes lives. It changes uh, the consumer or the motorist life. And that's what keeps me going. I could have retired several years ago, but I'm back in it because there's still work to be done. So I'm having fun. There's a lot of work to be yeah. done in our industry. Yeah. We are so far behind the rest of the world <laughs> and, 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 and industry-wise, it, it's crazy. I think one of the things that keeps you top of mind for everyone when you talk about learning and education is you always find a way to deliver the information in ways that people can understand and can go back and lay it out after you put it in front of them. Where many classes or things you go to, either they're so act like the smartest person in the world mm-hmm. and they talk to you like you're an idiot or yeah. they just, there's not a connection there. What do you think is your secret with that? Well, it's to help me learn. I when I went to college, uh, I had every intent to move to Detroit and design automobiles. And then we took a trip to SAE Congress, the Society of Automotive Engineers Congress, which back then was held in the end of January in Detroit. Oh, a little chilly. So I grew up in Kansas. It snows. It's nasty weather in the winter. But I didn't expect it in Detroit. I don't know why. I mean, it's north of Kansas on the map. And we drove to town as this gray, dreary days, and it was cold, and it was, it was just dreary. And I said, "Nah, I'm not going to move here." But when I went to college, I take things like biology and chemistry and physics and math all at the same time, and I got the math. The physics made sense. Then I get to chemistry class, and 
And I really struggled because they they tend to make math do what they want it to do. That was my perception. <laughs> and so I had to dumb it down for me to be able to, and it's not really dumbing it down, it's putting it in layman's terms that allows me to explain it. If I can teach it, then I can understand it. And so I've always tried to, to educate in that way to give information out in terms that are that fit the context of the person that's receiving the message. And if that's an audience of shop owners, that's a different message than technicians, and it's a different message than engineers. And I can go off the deep end and get geeky because I have that background, but that doesn't help a shop owner or a tech that's battling a car in the bay this afternoon, uh, it just might make me feel good or look good. That, that doesn't make me feel good at all. So I mentioned uh, a couple of weeks ago on another podcast about, have you seen a purple squirrel? And the concept of a purple squirrel is that there is no such thing. And the purple squirrel concept is that person that knows everything, that can solve everything, that can that knows everything, can teach everything. Well, that, that doesn't exist. I'm certainly not that. I'm in this industry because I have a passion for learning and I do it in such a way that I put it in context so I can understand it. And by putting in that context and that, that way of telling a story, then I can, I can gauge that or scale that to the audience so that they can understand it. And it just makes it easier to learn at the end of the day. You just made a light bulb go off in my head because I I do feel that there are some instructors and it doesn't matter what industry or what mm-hmm. subject or that it is about them and mm-hmm. what they know and how smart they are. And it is not about the student. And mm-hmm. I see that a lot. And it's very unfortunate because it can really turn somebody off from trying to oh. learn something. Oh, yeah. If, if you're the smartest person in the room, you probably heard this. You need to leave the room. Uh, because you're not in a learning environment, you're in a uh, look at me environment. And I don't want to be the smartest person in the room. I, If you observe me in conferences, I don't say much. Uh, God gave me two ears, two eyes, and one mouth. And I tend to use the things that I have the most of and stay quiet. It happens in the boards that I sit on. It happens in the committees I sit on, of which I'm a part of too many of them right now. It happens in our own executive leadership team, which I'm a part of. I tend to listen and observe and digest it and try to put it in, kind of put it all together, put the story together, and then offer up questions or my opinion. And so I don't know everything and I want to learn more. I'll never know everything. And so recognizing that helps you as a student of of automotive technology, of business, of life. And if you ever get to the position where you think, okay, I got it. No, you don't. Somebody else has figured something out differently or you're off by one little piece of the puzzle and you need to to listen and be open-minded to those other viewpoints and those other ideas because then you'll have that light bulb go off in your own mind and go, wait a minute, I thought, but now I see that it's this here and that that just changes your life uh, and it makes you satisfied in what you're doing. That's my other pet peeve, I think, is people when, and it doesn't, again, matter where they are, but they're like, I could teach that class or I can. I learn something like every second of the day, there's always something different, the way a door opens or how they 
used a lighting in a room or just there's always so much information. And when you go into something saying, I know all this, I can teach it. It's sad. I feel bad for those people. Well, I've, I've got a term that I'm uh, is part of my regular conversation nowadays and any presentation that I do. And, and so your, your statement kind of brings that up. We have in our industry, the most common person in our industry is the unconscious incompetent. <laughs> okay. And that's, that goes back to the statement that you've always heard for many years. You don't know what you don't know. And that's not what this is. An unconscious incompetent doesn't know that they don't know. They think they've got it right. They've been doing this for 30 years. You can't tell me how to do that job. I'm an expert at that. So they're somewhat closed-minded. And so when they go to a class, in the traditional way we teach today and has been for the last 30 years of my life is, go to class, you might learn something. And you send the whole shop to the same class. Well, the instructor is at a disadvantage because your shop has varying skill sets and varying experiences. They're going to walk in and that instructor has to meet them at their level and try to raise that every one of them. And that's impossible. So we're trying to overhaul education in a way that helps us identify an unconscious incompetent, that person that thinks they know, but they don't, and identify the gaps in knowledge and remediate those without having them go through every slide that I've got in the slide deck. Don't, don't ask me a question, Kim. I've got 14 more slides I've got to get through <laughs> before you can ask me a question. Because We've that's been in all thinks. those classes. Exactly. And so if we can find those, those gaps in knowledge quickly by asking you questions about what you do know, we can quickly get that person that goes to class for eight hours and comes home and says, I didn't learn anything. I could have taught that class. I knew more than the instructor. That's the person that was so ticked off and disconnected from that instructor early because they were being told things they already knew and they didn't recognize the things or the instructor didn't recognize the things that they didn't know so that they could illustrate those, call those out for that person to pay attention. You need to watch this because you haven't got this quite right. We do it in such a way that they do that self-discovery thing and they kind of sit back in their chair and go, ooh, now that makes sense. I've always been confused about that. And it remediates that gap in knowledge so that we can have more conscious competence uh, that are working on our vehicles or serving our customers because they they provide a better service to the to the motorist or any customer uh, every day. So that's the challenge is finding the people that don't know that they don't know. I'm one of those. Sometimes I think I've got it and something comes along. I'll read an article. I'll read a tech article or I listened to a speaker and I'm going, wow, that I was totally wrong with that. And you sit back and you kind of reevaluate and you shift your focus and all of a sudden things get clearer. And that happens in every walk of life, let alone fixing cars. Let's talk about our industry for a minute because you mentioned that there's a lot of work left to do. Right. And I the way we train is mm -hmm. one. Yeah. There, our our absolute refusal to bring young potential technicians into the shop and have a true apprentice program in there. But yet mm -hmm. we want to complain day after day after year that we don't have anybody. And, 
you have to pay an arm and a leg to get, we don't pay enough. Every other service industry, plumbers, electricians, elevator repair, Mm -hmm. it gets paid so much more in a career path. We don't have most of the shops, a true career path that someone knows when I come into this organization, Mm -hmm. I'll be able to move up if I want to. And this is where I could possibly retire Mm -hmm. because there's going to be something, a a path along the way. What in the heck is keeping us from getting on with the rest of the world and and other industries, what they're doing. We're trying to remodel an old home on an old foundation (laughs) to meet the building code of that community. Holy cow. Uh, And and it really goes back to that. If we are, we're working on the most complex machines on the planet. Today's automobile and some of the newer cars are more complex than anything flying in the air today or space. Those machines are very dedicated operating systems. They're smaller code sets on board the computer, so it's not a big file. It's very simplified. There's redundancies on board, things of that nature. Today's car has five to ten times the processing power and code on board, software on board, than a fighter jet. And yet we're trying to still act as as an industry that fixes cars. There's a lot of coaches and trainers out there that are trying to move the shop owner from fixing cars to fixing people or serving people. But in my opinion, we need to change our industry, that foundation of repairing the machine to becoming a technology industry. We work in a technology industry. We work on a massively complex piece of technology. So we need to treat ourselves as a technology industry. The company I work for, Repairify, is a technology business. We We have technologies. That's what we're focused on. We rarely sell or focus on any the hardware we sell. We focus on the technology and how it can be deployed to serve your customer. So if we're going to, if we're a technology company working on high-end technology, we need to hire technologists. We need to pay technologists. We need to run our companies as technology companies are run. And that means we need a new foundation. So sometimes you have to bulldoze the old house down and plan a new foundation to to build something that is going to stand taller and last longer. And we're at that crossroads in our industry. The shops have to start thinking about that. I sure hope they do. And I hope they do it a little quicker because there's there's still shops out there not using DVIs. They're not using, you know, it's just so and and they don't they truly do not understand and can't grasp why top people are not coming to work for them and, mm-hmm. and those things. And it's, we're in such a vicious cycle and it, it's almost like we're so proud to be that blue collar grease monkey. And and there isn't anything wrong mm-hmm. with that. My whole mm-hmm. family is blue collar. I, I mean, you know, so, but they, they want to hang their hat on it. You know, I just, I did a, my morning shows about appearance the other day because even how some people dress and you, you know, you want your technicians to wear uniform and look presentable. You want your service advisors to wear uniform, look presentable. And then you're rolling around and, you know, cut up t-shirts and jeans and school in your mouth and whatever. And it's like, who is going to send somebody to go, Oh, you know, little Johnny or Mary, when you grow up, I want you to go do that. So you could be like that person. And it's such a, uneven because they understand the part of 
let's make the crew look mm-hmm. presentable mm-hmm. and look professional and look like the professionals that they are. Mm-hmm. And then their own appearance are like, no, I'm not, you're not getting me in a collared shirt. I'm, I'm not that guy or gal. Right. So it's all in the packaging and the, the visual experience that a customer has today. And a lot of that is driven by technology and not necessarily the technology itself, but how technology is sold and delivered and onboarded. So what's the difference between a cheap phone that you buy at the store and your Apple phone that comes in a box? And as you open it up, (laughs) that presentation that you have of that product, Apple spent more time, Steve Jobs spent more time on the packaging than he did on the phone. And it's that presentation of of the experience that you're providing for that customer. And it, it wasn't the technology. The technology was what really drives that stickiness at the end of the day, but it's that feel-good thing you get from opening the, the box up. Now, I buy a lot of product, way too much product than I need, but I'm always trying stuff out. So Amazon's the bane of my existence. Uh, and my wife has my Amazon card. So uh, we get to Amazon, <laughs> we get two or three deliveries a day. but when I buy other products, I pay attention to the packaging and everybody's trying to emulate that Apple experience. Mm-hmm. So in our industry, for those shops that complain or, or whine, they first have to make a commitment to want to change. Uh, so how do they change? Well, the first thing I would do if I was a shop that was, you know, maybe not dressed as well or presenting myself as well, I would... I may not even recognize that. I may be an unconscious incompetent when it comes to that. I would find somebody who does it really well. And I would go observe them and and try to be open-minded and watch, why do they not have a technician shortage issue? Why do they have people that have been there for 20 years? Why are there people smiling? Why are there people not working on Saturday? Why are there people talking great about things about their work when they're at church or a restaurant or those places. I want to be like that. I want people to, to want to come visit me, not have to come visit me. And then in our industry for many, many years, we were, you know, we were behind the dentist and the lawyer when it came to places people hated to visit the most. I mean, we're doing <laughs> slightly better, but we're not, jumped up. So let's talk about technology because there's a lot of things in play right now that people aren't paying attention to and a lot coming down the pike. Yeah. So the electrification of the fleet is the thing that everybody's talking about. Battery electric vehicles is the, the big buzzword. Well, when you listen to the administration or you listen to the manufacturers who have had to jump onto the goals of the administration with moving to the electrification of the fleet. Electrification means hybrids as well. So we've had hybrids for over 20 years. The Prius is over 20 years old. Uh, we've been oh selling. Oh my gosh, it just that, made me feel so that, old. Isn't that terrible? Uh, so 20-year-old technology, we've been selling these things in some way, shape, or form for that period of time. And still, vehicles in operation today, less than 4% of the car park is electrified. So if the numbers are hit 
that are projected to be in place by 2030, 2035. Let's say 2030, because that's where they started. They keep moving the goalposts, by the way. Have you noticed that? (laughs) Now they're moving it down the road because they're not going to get to where they want it to be. But if they sold what they wanted to sell and projected to sell by 2030, the car park would increase by about 14 million vehicles, but only 8% of the car park of vehicles in operation in the United States would be electrified. So are you worried about that? Not so much. Do I need to get prepared for it? Yes, it's going to happen. But the car built today, the average age of a domestic vehicle today is 15 years old. That's what we get to see come into our shops. That means 30-year-old vehicles are still running around on the road, right? So the car that's sold today, what's it going? when's it going to be an average vehicle? It could be 17 years from now. That means 34 years worth of vehicles, you know, or 17 years old. That's 34 years of vehicles could be average or in our in our sweet spot. So how do we how do we prepare for that? How do we get those vehicles off the road? It's not going to happen. You can't flip a switch and remove everything and replace it with electrical vehicles. So my projection is uh, twofold. One with respect to electrified vehicles. Two, with respect to autonomous driving vehicles, self-driving vehicles, with, a, with electric vehicles, they will not scale in the United States totally until probably past 2050. You will see them scale locally in places like San Francisco, the LA, maybe uh, New York, Massachusetts, and those areas they'll scale more rapidly because they're more accepting and demanding of that. And the, the infrastructure can be stood up quicker there. Uh, but in the Midwest, you won't see them scale for years and years and years. In fact, I think you're going to see regional programs where maybe five segments of the, of the United States kind of almost segmented like the time zones, uh, where the East Coast and the West Coast become uh, more EV and some hybrid options, while the middle three zones are hybrid and maybe mild hybrid options that are out there. You won't even see it too many Teslas or bolts or things like that. But for preparation between now and then, our shops need to be prepared for what they can fix today. Because I will tell you the technology that's on the vehicles today is the same as it's going to be on the vehicles tomorrow. The voltage might be a little higher, but the, the foundation skills are the same. So if you can't fix today's cars, you're not going to have a chance to fix tomorrow's cars. So prepare yourself to fix today's cars. Tomorrow's cars will come easy. One of the things, too, that are, are I think a lot of shop owners don't think about, if, if nobody in the area is paying attention to that, they can be the place that everyone goes yeah. for whatever small yeah. piece of yeah. the pie there is in that and, and start setting themselves apart instead of always following. And yeah. it, it's just... Yeah, you look at the early adopters to hybrid service in the Prius especially. So I always go back to Carolyn Colquitt, uh, the founder of Shopware and Luscious Garage, which she's now renamed... Uh, Earthling Automotive, okay. and they've moved into the new, the old Lyft uh, Repair Center in San Francisco. And I can remember when she was putting her business plan together in public over on IETN. Uh, and we, we old sages would provide her with advice and things of that nature. 
And she was an early adopter of servicing hybrid vehicles when hybrids were new and was wildly successful in that and has positioned herself to be successful in this industry beyond her wildest dreams. I think early adopters to battery electric vehicles and, and trying to not dabble in it, but put a business plan together that serves that community. Because just like Prius owners, Tesla owners, Bolt owners, those types of vehicles, the owners are different. They're totally weird. <laughs> so I can remember doing the research on Prius owners. They wanted to air the tire pressure three pounds over the maximum specification for tire air pressure because they could get a little more fuel economy out of the car. Oh, for Pete's sake. So in those days, my team at CarPost Technical Institute prepared training for Bridgestone Firestone. And I couldn't put that that idea in the textbook or in the class because Firestone was a little sensitive about tire pressure. Yeah. (laughs) So, so, you know, you've got to understand the owner. So you need to get involved in the blogs and the, the, the forums where these people hang out and talk about their cars and find out what's important to them. Then you can prepare your organization to serve them better. And it's more about serving the customer with their technology than fixing their car. So at the end of the day, we've got to move ourselves towards the technology industry and be prepared for a different kind of owner that wants to be uh, in an electric vehicle and put up with no charging stations close by. And understand that it's not going to show up in your uh, in your location if we're in Puerto Rico. I doubt we're going to see EVs here anytime soon. The grid simply can't handle it. If you go to the middle of Kansas, where I'm from, in the Hayes, Kansas area, there's six Tesla charging stations within a quarter miles, four at, at the Applebee's and two at the Hampton Inn. And I've never seen a car parked there. And they're 250 miles from Denver or Kansas City. And that's why they're there is because if you get stuck out there, that's a charging station to get you across I-70. But Teslas aren't being sold there. So you've got to pick where your business is to match where those cars are going to be. I noticed they're getting smarter, the, the EV cars, with their marketing. I was watching TV around the Super Bowl and some of the commercials, and they didn't say one of the commercials, and I, I noted it because they didn't say electric once, and they didn't say anything about the environment. They used to say about electric and the environment, and it's better for the world. And this commercial said, don't worry about the E. They didn't even say electric. They said E, they, you know, think about the speed and, you know, the the reaction and the performance. Yeah. And so they're totally shifting their marketing from this is better for the climate and, and all of that to listen, you know, when you have better performance. I, I remember uh, test driving one for something. I went with a friend of mine and I was shocked, I, like flew back in the seat. And I came home and I said to my 14 year old son, and I'm a, I'm a motor. I love blah, blah, blah. blah. Yeah. I mean, the louder I just, and I don't know if I'll ever get over that, but I said to my son, if, if they made them with noise, I think, but so. I said, you know, the second it blew and he just looked at me like I was the dumbest bunny ever. And he was staring at me and I said, what? And he goes, when you flip a light switch on mom, how long does it take to get light? And I was like, 
Okay, good point. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> so so Chrysler Stellantis is launching the Dodge Challenger uh, electrified version that has different packages that you can get from Direct Connection, which is the old hot rod shop with the Mopar, and you can up the horsepower in this electrified Challenger to over eight hundred horsepower. <gasps> And they have a muffler stereo system on board that sounds like a Hemi. And that's an option on that car. See, now that might sway me. That, you're going to see. And people. do you feel it? Because I, like oh, yeah. I like to feel it. Like if yep. you, yeah, I think they'll sell more like it's that. Stereos. In fact, there's stereos coming out for uh, EVs like Tesla where they'll bolt the muffler up underneath the back of the vehicle and put dual exhaust out the back and it, it vibrates the car like a, a face box in the back of the car, like your stereo. And so the marketing departments are figuring out that, no, we can't go the green route for everybody. We still have to uh, cater to the performance crowd because those people want to go fast. And if you've ever get a chance to sit in a a Tesla Plaid and, and go drive one of those, it will scare you to death. It is the most incredible ride I've ever been in in my life. Under, they, they say under two seconds, zero to 60. Oh, my gosh. Uh, it's all-wheel drive. If you can get the traction, you'll find videos on YouTube where they're out doing street racing, which I do not prescribe to. There's right. kids getting hurt. But they're out there running on the track against pro mods, vehicles that are professional drag vehicles, and beating them all night long until they're – uh, controller. See now, if you can give me that with the blah 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 yeah. blah, I you know yeah. I they could have Just a the they could have a sale. Yeah, <laughs> that's like Har- You know, I ride a Harley, and it's like I can't an electric. Yeah, I, no. I Harley's got to be. <laughs> tough, 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 tough. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't. So there's all that. So anything else that we need to be aware of coming down the pike? I think the biggest thing to be concerned with, besides the things that we talked about, is that the amount of technology that we need to understand and learn and be prepared for is not going to slow down. It's going to continue to grow. And we can't expect our vocational, current vocational education system to continue to try to immerse people in all of that technology in two years. And so we've got to specialize. And so we need to start thinking about not just the specialization of manufacturer, uh, we need to think about the specialization of skill. And I've been promoting or not promoting, but floating the idea of dispatching the vehicle or the job to the skill rather than to the bay and expecting a tech to take the vehicle key to key from beginning to end of, of their visit to the shop and, and understanding that we need to to scan the vehicle when it arrives so that we have good intel about the vehicle when it gets there and we can make good ex- set good expectations with our customer about the length of their visit and what we're going to, to find potentially, and then the ability to dispatch it to the right skill and move the car from, from bay to bay, skill to skill, so that you aren't expecting an oil change, a C-Tech, to work on a very advanced system and let them get lost and conversely take your whatever an A tech is today, make your best tech have to do those minute surface minute services that a C tech could be performing, wasting their productivity time 
that they should be spending on more complex things. So I, I think we've got to think about how we take those really high-end skills and really focus on them and then pay those skill sets uh, appropriately like a technologist should be paid. We really do yep. need to look at the yep. pain structure. Otherwise, we're in trouble. I really appreciate you stopping in today. I awesome. know there's a lot going on and there's yep. a lot of things you can be doing. And I understand that there might be something for our listeners of the podcast. Uh, absolutely. If you'll just, if you'll come uh, visit repairify.com or aztec.com and seek out, fill out the form that we have on there and put, uh, put down that you were uh, listening to this podcast uh, that'll get to me and we'll make sure that we uh, get you a, a good demo and an understanding of what we do. I'm not going to try to sell you on this on this uh, podcast, but we want to we want you to experience the services, what we provide, because what we're trying to do is put the right technology and the right skill at the right place at the right time. And that means you don't have to own everything. We'll bring it to you, put it into action when you need it. Love it. Love it. And hopefully everybody takes advantage of that because we have a lot of catching up to other industries yep. to do. And sure the technology is just so huge and it's moving so fast and it's not going to slow down. Yep. And who as a small business owner has time to sit and, and, and watch all of that and research all of that and research all the tools and what classes the, the employees should go to. And it's, right. it's just, it's too much. Well, Thank you so much for joining me. And everybody, I will be back next week at the same time. You know when it gets released and stay safe, make good choices and stay inspired. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Maximum Optane, your ride to the entrepreneur's evolution. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas, or you just want to be a guest on my show, I want to hear from you. You can reach me directly at mlpodcast at autotraining.net. Thanks for listening and keep seeking information everywhere that you can. 